Thanks, Phil. You might like to keep your Bible there if you have one uh, in front of you. Uh, Have you heard this story or at least something sort of similar to it? Uh, It was the time of the American Civil War uh, and a young soldier who had lost both his dad and his brother in battle, he decided to go to Washington, D.C. He wanted to see President Lincoln uh, and ask for an exemption from military service. If he was to get the exemption, it would mean that he could then go home and help his sister and his mum uh, with the sowing season on the farm. And the military gave him uh, some leave that he might plead his case. But, but as you and I might imagine, it's not the easiest thing uh, to just visit the president. You, you can't just rock up to the White House and, and walk on in. Uh, this bloke thought he'd give it a try, though. Uh, and the guards turned him away. Tried again, and they, they turned him away. Each time he tried, the same thing happened. And as the story goes, he was uh, sitting outside the White House grounds, obviously very upset, visibly upset, when a boy came up to him and just asked, are you OK? Uh, the soldier shared his story. And the boy said, I can help. Come with me. Uh, And the boy walked the soldier past the guards and into the White House grounds. No questions were asked. And they went straight to the front door of the White House and just went on in. Uh, They even entered the Oval Office where the president had his head down and was working. And the boy didn't even knock on the door. Uh, But as they entered, uh, this boy's dad looked up from his work and said something like, good afternoon, Tad, can you introduce me to your friend? And having been walked straight into the Oval Office uh, by the son of the President, young Tad Lincoln, the soldier was granted his exemption. I can help you, says the boy to the soldier, come with me. That's a beautiful story. Don't you reckon? I mean, that's a beautiful story, is it not? Uh, It really is. And I tell it because it captures at least something of what has been going on in Hebrews from chapter 4 all the way through to chapter 10, verse 18, this sort of central section of this sermon-like letter where the focus has been on Jesus' priestly ministry. The call to draw near to God keeps on coming up in Hebrews. But on what basis can we do that? And as hard as it might be for a young soldier to have access to the President of the United States, you can't just wander into the White House. How much more? How much more a sinful people cannot just draw near to the the true and living, almighty, holy, eternal Lord? And so the Israelites of old, you know, God's people of old, they had the whole temple, the priestly, the the sacrificial system given to them by the Lord as a reminder of this difficulty. The Lord, the God of the Bible, is thoroughly relational, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We were built to be in loving relationship with him. But you cannot just enter the Lord's presence willy-nilly. No, for the Israelites, it was the Day of Atonement 
just once a year. And it wasn't just anyone, but it was only the high priest who could go in and enter the the Holy of Holies, that inner part of the, the temple or the tabernacle before the temple was built, through that inner curtain, the inner curtain, which was, well, more of a wall. And that could only happen after the priest had performed the necessary sacrifices for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. And so you have the Lord, the God of the Bible, sort of living with his people of old in his presence represented by the temple, but with such difficulty. And from chapter 4 of Hebrews through to chapter 10, our writer or our preacher has been showing how Jesus fulfills the whole temple system. That it was just a shadow or a a type of what was to come. That Jesus is the, the perfect forever priest. That Jesus is the perfect forever sacrifice once for all that Jesus makes his people holy. You see chapter 10, verse 1 to 3? Let me read there. It says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never be by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But verse 3, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. We had a um, a housemate, my sister and I, years ago. Christmas time was not a fun time for, for her and her family. This was because at Christmas time each year her dad would sit the family down uh, and it wasn't presents for them but it was, a, it was reflection on the year that had just been. He would tell each of them one after the other all of the things that they had done wrong in that year that had just been. Oh, I guess he was sort of storing those things away to level them at the family at Christmas time, ready for that moment. Sad, isn't it? Year after year, for the Israelites, the sacrifices, the blood and the the bulls and the goats are a reminder of this, this, the greatest problem. A sinful people cannot live in relationship with a holy God. And even as the bulls and the goats were were being sacrificed year after year, there was an understanding that that wholehearted obedience be the sacrifice that the Lord really desires. And so we read chapter 10, verse 5 to 7, Psalm 40 applied to Jesus. Therefore, when, when Christ came into the world... He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body, reference to the incarnation, you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. 
wholehearted obedience. Jesus' bread and butter was to do the will of his Father. And because he became human, like us, he has solidarity with us, so he could represent us. You see verse 10? And by that will, his obedience to the Father, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. His obedience becomes ours. So that you and I, we trust in Jesus, we're positionally holy before God forever. We see that in verse 14. And unlike that housemate that my sister and I had years ago, whose dad would bring up the sin that he held against his children year after year, we read verse 17. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. F.F. Bruce says, as God has no greater messenger than his son, he had no further message beyond the gospel. And we say no other priest for us and no other sacrifice either. It's finished. He's done it. I love that song, Let Your Weary Heart Rejoice. Our sin And the holy God problem is dealt with in Christ. Fully and finally, it is marvellous. And you just want to sit there a while, don't you? I mean, we should. We we should sit there a long while. But having spent chapters on the sufficiency of Jesus for our salvation, telling the original reader, don't go drifting back to the old temple thing, and telling us today, don't go drifting to some other thing. Our author, preacher, says, see what comes next, verse 19, if your Bible's there. Verse 19, therefore, one of those big therefores in the Bible. You have all that you need in Christ, all of it. You have it. Therefore, and there's quite a bit said from what Phil read to us this afternoon, isn't there, from verse 19 to 39. But I want us to observe three uh, three and one other thing. So some would argue that's four. But let's go, with, let's go with three and one other thing. And if you're into structured talks, that's something of where we're going. Three and one other thing. But you see the three, don't you? Verse 22, let us draw near to who? To God. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Let us, let us, let us. The three... And then one other thing, we'll get to that. It's amazing though, don't you reckon? Our author is telling us at this point, it's the big therefore, it's a call to action. But even as he calls us to action, he cannot stop talking about the person and work of Jesus. You see this from verse 19 down to our first lettuce. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, the most holy place, not the old temple thing, but heaven itself. 
And verse 20, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. The curtain that is his body. You remember when Jesus was, when his body was broken, the curtain of the temple was torn in, in two. The curtain that is his body. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, the house of God, not a building, but a people. Verse 22, the first lettuce, let us. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled and and cleansed from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And that sprinkling and washing, it's just temple language, isn't it? Fulfilled in the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. The first, let us, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God, as Peter Adam puts it, the phrase, let us draw near to God, it's just a metaphor, a metaphor for wholehearted commitment to the God of the new covenant. Jesus says, I can help you. Come with me. And we find ourselves in relationship with the true and living God. Just as a a child has access to a parent, no appointment needed, no requests out of bounds, in Jesus we wholeheartedly live for him. His obedience becomes ours. Let us draw near to God, says our author, not shrink back or drift away. But draw near. And let us, verse, three, uh, uh, verse 23, sorry, our second lettuce. Let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Sometimes we might question, uh, is this trusting in Jesus the, the way to go? Especially as we observe so many people uh, trusting in other things. But this promise-making God is a promise-keeping God. And his actions are set in history. The ground, the basis of our hope is God's faithfulness and not our own. He always keeps his promises. And if we, you and I, needed encouragement to draw near to God and hold on to the confession of faith, We need that other lettuce too, don't we? Verse 24 and 25. It's the famous one that pastors like to read to their congregations. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, We looked at this at youth group on Friday afternoon and someone asked one of the boys, what is it to spur one another on towards love and good deeds? To spur, to encourage, said the group, it's to encourage. But the questioner pointed us to the horse and the rider with the spurs, you know? The spurs being pushed into the horse. Sounds a bit stronger than the way we use that word encourage, doesn't it? 
Perhaps that's why the ESV translates the word stir one another up towards love and good deeds. And the Holman provoke one another towards love and good deeds. The reality is sometimes we need a good prodding towards obedience. And we can't be appropriately giving or receiving this prodding if we're not committed to meeting together. And we have some great examples to look to in our local church of this. Rod and Hazel and others. You don't just miss gathering with God's people for no reason. It must be a substantial reason, mustn't it? Maybe for the original readers it was that they were nervous about persecution. Maybe their drifting away from the Lord was was reflected in a drifting away from the Lord's people. But as ordinary and difficult as meeting together can be, it can be hard to be alone if you're single, rocking up to church on your own. And if you've got little kids, church life is so messy. You hardly hear a thing. And if you're the pastor, sometimes you feel like an idiot when your kids are playing up. And if we get to know each other, we hurt each other and misunderstand each other. But let's be doing it and prodding and stirring each other up to love and good deeds. And that's the three, let us, let us, let us draw near to God. Let us hold firm to the confession, the faith we profess. And spur one another on to love and good deeds. Lettuce, lettuce, lettuce. Carrot? The other thing. I don't know. Apparently that's what they did at Jen's youth group when she was a kid. Lettuce, lettuce, lettuce. Carrot. I don't know. Um, uh, I had Friday, Friday off this week and I, and I went on a, a, a kindy bus tour. Uh, this is possibly the most uh, comprehensive tour of Bundaberg that there is. Uh, We didn't go to the rum distillery, but we went everywhere else, I reckon. The hummock, yes, we went there. The art gallery, yeah. The zoo, the fire station, the ambulance station, the police station, the botanic gardens, the train ride, uh, strawberry picking. Uh, It was a long day. (laughs) Daisy wanted her dad to come. And it was a great day. Don't hear me wrong. It was a great day. Uh, You know what kept me going? The end. (laughs) There were so many great things, and we we had a wonderful time together. But but really, it was the knowledge of the end that kept me going. Uh, And I reckon this is what our author is doing uh, from the end of verse 25 through to the end of the chapter. You see the end of verse 25, it reads, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is the last day when Jesus will return. And in verses 26 to 31, where we have such a heavy warning, 
It's the reality of the judgment that is to come for those who reject the gospel that is on view. The judgment that will come on that final day. And even as our author is reminding the original reader of those early days of them living for Jesus, in verses 32 to 35, when we see verse 34, I love this, they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. How? Why? Because they, they knew they had better and lasting possessions. I can only accept the confiscation, my property being taken from me for my connection to Jesus, knowing he will return and that this life is just the beginning. That the best that we have now, the best that we have now is nothing compared to that which is to come. And so our author is pointing them, he's pointing us to the end with warnings. See verse 37. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And so our writer calls us to perseverance. See verse 39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed the reality of judgment, but to those who have faith and are saved. In light of the person and work of Jesus, and we've had chapters and, and chapters of the filling out of his sufficiency, the all-sufficient one, let us, let us, let us, let us draw near to God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together and one other thing. Let's be a people who live all of life with reference to the end and so persevere in him. Well, drawing near to God looks like all kinds of things, doesn't it? And one of those is praying. So let's do that now. Our great God, we want to thank you for that old temple thing and for the way it really vividly shows the difficulty of a sinful people coming to a holy God. Lord, we thank you for the way that you set up in your word this narrative where you were an, an almighty, eternal, loving God who built us to live in relationship with you. That the greatest thing for us is to be with you and for you and enjoying you forever. And we're so conscious of how our sin and rebellion gets in the way. And for this, we are sorry. And we're sorry for drifting away from you to other things. We're sorry for just being rebellious and wanting to rule our own lives. And so we want to praise you for that once for all sacrifice that we have in your son. 
And we thank you that Jesus' obedience becomes ours, that in him we are positionally holy forever. And we pray that in light of all of that, that we would draw near to you, crying out to you for help. Help us, Lord, live for you. Help us enjoy you. Help us be obedient to you. Help us to view this world as as you view it and not some other way. And help us, Lord, hold firmly to the faith we profess as we understand how solid it is. Our weak and wavery faith in such a solid hope, we praise and thank you. And we just want to recognise, we know the Bible's addressed not to an individual, but a community. And so we pray, Lord, that we would spur one another on to love and good deeds. That we would provoke one another to love and good deeds. And that we would not give up meeting together. And thank you, God, that in this difficult life, the ups and downs, when we think, can we keep going on? We know our King, the coming one, he will return. And we pray that you would help us keep looking for and to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.